Welcoming one more, of welcoming one more for the picture, not only about what it means to the near family, but what it means to each one of us. That you are a gracious God who radically pursues your children. And even still, while we, we are a long ways off, you claim us, you find us. Lord, I ask for a prayer that, that's going to be prayed over Adeline countless times as she grows up and gets older. We pray that as she grows up, she always knows that she is included in your family, included in your covenant, and the recipient of your good promises. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Just as a way of uh, um, starting off this promise that we made to, to help you uh, uh, help you teach Adeline that she's included in God's family. It's just a, a book that demonstrates what's going on here called At Your Baptism. Chad has his hands full, so I'll give it to you, Natalie. <laughs> and uh, friends and family, I invite you to, to welcome uh, the newest member of, uh, of Christ's body, Adeline uh, Tracy Near. All right, let's, uh, let's have a prayer together, another one yet. Uh, gracious God, again, thank you for the picture. Thank you um, for what we've just witnessed. Thank you, Lord, for making it possible for, um, uh, for children like Adeline, but also each one of us to be found into your family by your blood, Jesus Christ. Um, God, we, we pray too now that as we open up your word and, and hear um, about the life that you have to offer us, uh, God, we ask, I ask now that, that by your Holy Spirit, you take the words that are going to come out of my mouth and you tweak them, you tune them, Lord, to make them exactly what each one of us needs to hear. By your mercy and by your power, God, make these words, perfect these words to proclaim your truth and your grace. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, we, we get to, to start off a new series here at Encounters. So if you're uh, just visiting for the first time or just uh, first couple of times here, um, this is a fun Sunday to be in because you get to kind of see the, the over like trajectory about what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks here, uh, four weeks today included at Encounter. It, it's a series called uh, All In where we just explore what, what it's like to, to put ourselves all in to these commitments that we're making to Jesus Christ. Um, uh, all in is a way that we can drop in to a few stories in the Bible, Old and New Testament, to hear about what it means for those characters, what it means for those people in the past. Uh, we're going to take a look next week at what it means when God taps Elisha on the shoulder and says, I need you to be all in. I need you to be my prophet to the nation Israel. And just what I love about that story, what Elisha has to leave behind and what you might have to leave behind as well. Uh, a week after that, we're going to hear a, a story that's maybe familiar to a number of us uh, involving Abraham and Isaac, but it's going to be told in a way that hopefully you've never heard before. At least I haven't ever heard that before. Uh, this week, though, this week we're going to go to the New Testament and to hear this, uh, hear this conversation, drop in on this uh, conversation between Jesus and, uh, and one of his closest disciples, Peter. 
Um, but before you do, uh, when we're talking about all in, when we're talking about these radical faith commitments, when we're talking about putting ourselves squarely into the Jesus camp and says, you're mine and I'm yours, do with me whatever you will. But when we talk about that, we have this sense like it is going to be difficult. I mean, it's, we're going to have to just bury so much. We're going to have to leave so much behind. We're going to have to just give up and sacrifice so much. And that's a good attitude to have. Because it's true. I mean, at at many levels, in the deepest sense, we will have to sacrifice. We are called to deny ourselves, as we'll hear in the Bible text in just a few minutes. But almost as a disclaimer, I want to tell you that, that it isn't always going to be sacrifice. It isn't always going to be hard. Is that if you've been following Jesus for years now or longer, you know, you know that sometimes following Jesus isn't hard, but following Jesus is one of the easiest things you could ever do. I mean, it's not always that case. It won't certainly be always that case, but at least sometimes, maybe even most of the time, following Jesus isn't actually all that hard. Uh, Give you an example. Um, I have, a, I have a past that I know a few people in the room uh, have too that we pray Adeline has growing up is that I have a Christian parents. I've got Christian family, even extended family, people who care about me. I've got um, Christian teachers at school and I've had Christian friends along the way. Not all of them, but the vast majority of them. And so I can kind of think about my own um, spiritual formation. And, and if, there was a, if there was a tide or, or if there was a, a gravity pulling me one way or the other, I can kind of look back in my past and see that I'm pretty sure that that gravity was pulling me towards God, not away from him. That the tide was pulling me towards Jesus, not away from him. You know, I just have this um, picture in my mind that someday it wouldn't always be that case. Maybe, Maybe when I moved off to college, maybe when I got a job. College days, I worked in a, a restaurant which um, I, I know that a few of you who've worked in restaurants know they, they, they're not always the beacon of Christian witness that you think they could be. Um, but nevertheless, you know, working in this place, still, I remember one bizarre kind of experience to the point that um, I, when I was hired on, I made a, a commitment uh, to uh, the general manager, you know, the guy who's in charge of the restaurant. It doesn't really matter what it was, but, but you know, I just told him that I was willing to do a lot of things. It was just a couple things that, you know, I just, I, I don't think that I was called to. It wasn't uh, that, it, that I thought it was uh, sinful or anything. It was just previous commitments that I had made. I felt that, that by acting out on it, it, it would violate my own sense of integrity, who Jesus was asking me to be and, and become. I wouldn't hold anybody else to the same, but I just felt like this was true for me. And so he knew this, and so about a year, year and a half into it, I get called into a room, back part of the restaurant that's rarely uh, used, that people hardly ever see. And, and we walk back there together, and he sits me down, and he says, um, Dirk, we've had this conversation before. You know, I, I, know that, I know that you've made some commitments, and you've been honest about that, and I appreciate that. But I just have to tell you, in the last uh, year and a half or so, my circumstances have changed. And so I need you to rethink those uh, convictions that you've had, those commitments that you've had. And the way that it came across, 
It wasn't just, hey, you know, would you reconsider? We're sitting alone in a room that's rarely used, just he and I. And, and he was telling me, no, 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 I, I need you to reconsider. I would love to think that I was just so all in to my faith at that time that, that this is where my answer poured out of. But I know me, especially then, even now, and I know that it probably had more to do with, with me being kind of an ignorant college student at the time who was a bit, like, experience shy. And, and, and also, um, there was a part of me that just didn't really want to work there entirely anyway. It wasn't that great of a job. So I could just kind of say, hey, I, no. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I, I feel like it would violate my own sense of uh, integrity. And so, you know, for your sake and for the good of everybody, I'm going to try to maintain my integrity. The answer came across not like I had hoped. He wasn't happy for me. It wasn't a test to pass. <laughs> he said, if that's how you want it, fine. And I was dismissed. Three days later, called back, same room, only this time it was him and uh, one of the assistant managers. And I knew what was going to happen. In fact, I started like untying my apron because I knew I'm not going to be working here <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> I might as well get used to it today. I'm getting fired. I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. And they start off. Um, you remember our conversation yesterday? I do. <laughs> Getting fired is one of the more formative experiences in my life. I recall it just perfectly. It solves a problem for me. That's a funny way to start this off. Just tell me I'm gone and I'm gone. He goes, no, it solves a problem for me because we've been looking for this evening, uh, like, closing manager. And it's not a hard work, but it just involves this huge sense of trust. And I feel like we feel like we can trust you. Do you want the job? And I thought, what a crazy world that we live in. We're standing up and making these, these bizarre stands to maintain our own integrity, our own sense of, of calling, and somehow, through the middle of it, following Jesus is rewarded with not just better hours, but, but, but better pay and even a promotion. And you kind of know that the same is true on some level, in some circumstances, for you too. That quite often the case is, though not all the time, we'll get to that in a minute, but quite often the case is that making a stand and following after God doesn't always involve huge sacrifices. Sometimes following God is the best thing that you could ever do. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they had a, a radical concept of this. That they looked at the rules, the regulations, the restrictions, what we call the law, which requires law enforcement, which requires us getting speeding tickets on the highways, which requires us to just loathe the whole idea of having rules to begin with. No, no, the, the, the Israelites in the Old Testament, God's people, they wrote songs about how much they loved the law. In Psalm 119, they reflect on the, the law or the Torah or, as they called it, the instruction, and they celebrate it in saying, your Torah, your instruction is sweet to my taste. It's, it tastes like honey in my mouth. They just loved the instruction, the law, the, the rule, following after God because they knew 
They could look around at the nations around them and see all the hurt and all the pain and all the loss in all of the other nations. And so they could just thank the Lord that he rescued them from that. And I think we've seen it. I think we've seen people just pursue God, put themselves all in to the, to the Jesus camp. And we've seen how their relationship, their marriage is a bit better because they've become better husbands or better wives. We've seen people's parenting improve after they've put themselves into the Jesus camp with everything that they have and say that they're more gracious and they're more patient and they're, they're better parents. Their friendships are deeper. They have more respect at work to some level, Right? It's almost like following Jesus is the easiest thing that you could do. But not always. Because the promise is that no matter how blessed or maybe a better word is charmed life, you might lead following after God. It isn't always easy is that you don't always take a stand and get promoted afterward. You don't always have a marriage that seems to put itself back together again. You don't always have kids who love the Lord as much or more as you do. Sometimes, sometimes that you come to this like fork in the road and you have to make a decision And there are no guarantees, there are no promises at the other end about how this is going to turn out. But you have to make a decision. Who's following whom? I mean, is Jesus following me and I'm kind of along for the ride with him just so long as it's all working out well? Or am I following him? And no matter what, I will accept whatever consequences, positive or negative, that come along with that. At some point... You will come to a fork in the road and you have to make a decision. Am I a consumer of Jesus willing to accept whatever comes from his gracious hand or am I a follower of him? This series is to say, think about this deeply because the fork in the road is coming. But before it gets here, I want to offer some encouragement from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read it in just a minute, but we're going to drop in on this conversation with Jesus and Peter, and it's, it's part two of the conversation. So I want to tell us what's going on in part one of the conversation, where Jesus uh, brings his disciples. I imagine these guys like on a cliff, you know, overlooking the city landscape, and he tells them, hey guys, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Kind of a Bible fun fact around this, Peter's name, Petros in Greek, means rock. So he's got his disciples here, and, he's, and he goes, hey, upon this Peter, I'm going to build my church. And Peter's going, this is great. Hey, this is phenomenal news, everybody. Because so far, I was fishing, and Jesus called me. I leave the nets in the boat behind, and it's, it's just a wild ride, one after another. And the crowds have always gotten bigger and bigger. 
And when people come into the presence of Jesus, their lives get better and better. I mean, I remember a blind guy who came into the presence of Jesus and he could see. I remember a deaf person came into the presence of Jesus and he could hear. Jesus is raising people from the dead. One time we were in a boat together and a storm rolls in, so we wake Jesus up and says, you got to do something, man. He stands up. He tells the weather, the wind to calm down, and it does. (laughs) And now he's saying, I'm the Messiah. I will believe you. I'm going to usher in a new kingdom. Absolutely. No reason to doubt. And on, on this Peter, I'm going to build my church. I mean, what better news could you hear? He's got all these ideas in his mind about what this means. That his people, the Jewish people, they've been living under oppression of the Romans and before that, before, just for as long as they can remember. And now Jesus is going to rescue him. He's going to lead the revolt. He's going to turn this kingdom upside down and start a whole new kingdom. And I'm going to be his right-hand guy. I'm going to be his general. I'm going to be his lieutenant. I'm going to be along for the ride. And then we get to Matthew 16. Can you give me that? Thanks, buddy. And then we get to Matthew 16. Verse 21. On the flow sheet and on the screen. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It's a, it's a tone shift, isn't it? The, the crowds have always gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, commentators, you know, smart people on the passage uh, tell me that, that from this time on, the way that it starts off, uh, marks an indicator that from now on, from now on the crowds are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. As Jesus begins to focus, not so much and the glorious nature of this kingdom that is coming and, and how it represents healing for everybody and, and life everlasting. No, from now on, Jesus' tone shifts and he talks more about what's going to happen. Namely, you heard it, Jerusalem, suffer and killed. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. Jesus, I don't, I don't understand. Well, it's going to be it's going to be by the hand of the people that I'm supposed to rally for my support. It's going to be from the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, or in other words, the elders, the, the lay leaders, the senior pastors, the, the, the Bible professors. It's the, the people, the who's who, the, the religious leaders that know what's going on. They, they're going to be the ones that are going to reject me and eventually kill me. You can see what this does to, to Peter, the rock. Now, he doesn't like this one bit. He he's comes to a, to a fork in the road, and he's got to make a decision. Who's following whom here? And he offers his reply. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. I wonder how he said that. You know, was he angry? Never, Lord. Was he, like, condescending? Like, oh, no. Oh, Jesus. That's not going to happen. 
No matter what, either way, it doesn't matter because you can just kind of see the words in black and white and you can see that, that there's this, this air of superiority to them, right? That when he, when he comes to this fork in the road, it's Peter who knows best. It, it's the rock who knows how this ought to go. Jesus, you've got it all wrong. <laughs> Let me explain to you what's going to happen. Jesus replies in verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In other words, in that fork in the road, Peter, in the question, who's following whom here? You think that I'm following you. Peter, you're supposed to be following me. If you're like me, you get kind of hung up on this word Satan. Because... How harsh is that? It <laughs> was there nothing worse that Jesus could have said to Peter than, get behind me, Satan. I mean, it's, it's so condemning. Does he really think that Peter is, is the personification of, of evil right here standing in front of him? And what about just previously, part one of the conversation where he says, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Does he regret that? Was that a mistake? Because after all, he's Satan. No, no. I think it comes across to us as maybe more harsh than it came across to him. It's a borrowed word from Hebrew that simply means adversary. So he's telling, get, get behind me, you're my adversary. When you, when you line up at that fork in the road and we're asked the question, who's following whom, and you think I'm following you, you know that pits us against each other. Because you're my disciple, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to follow me. And the other reason why I think it, it comes across to us more harshly than it would have come across from him is, it's because he makes a joke right after this. He says, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. Wait for it. The rock has become a tripping hazard. <laughs> Sermon humor. It's, it's funny. Just give it a little while. Uh, it, is a, it is a play on words, but he does mean what he says. You've become an adversary to me. So get behind me. Get behind me. You know the first words that Jesus said to Peter? Come, follow me. As a rabbi calling a would-be disciple, get behind me. And now, admittedly, the tone is different, the context has changed, but one more time, Peter, I'm calling you again. Get back behind me. Something is maybe a bit lost when we understand the relationship between disciple and rabbi because we think of this in terms of maybe a teacher and a student. And we think typically students learn from their teachers as long as there is something to learn, disagreeing freely um, as, as we sometimes do, maybe finding multiple teachers to instruct them on different subjects. Disciple and rabbi relationship is totally, totally different. There's a Jewish euphemism that says when you would become a disciple of a rabbi, the goal was to be covered in the dust of that rabbi. In other words, I follow my teacher, my rabbi, so closely that, that when he walks along a dirt path, as they almost all were, and it kicks up dust behind, I'm the guy that it kicks up the dust on. The dust settles on me because I'm, I'm so closely in step with him, learning everything about him, 
including his interpretations of the Torah. No, so uh, there's a quote by one of the more uh, popular rabbis that that says, you know, thinking about when he was a disciple, he says, uh, when I followed my rabbi, I didn't follow him to learn about his interpretations of the Torah. No, No, I followed him to learn how he ties his shoes how he acts, how he speaks, how he lives life. Because the Torah, the instruction is all manifest right there. So I just put myself, another expression is, at his feet. This is the the level of submission that a disciple would have to a rabbi. And now the rabbi Jesus is telling his would-be disciple, I need you to get back behind me. You've run ahead. And then he offers uh, an explanation of what's going on. He says, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, whoever wants to be my disciple, this is another kind of radical, as long as we're talking about it, radical thing that um, rabbis would do is they would call just a few disciples. But Jesus said, hey, anybody, this is open, this opportunity is open to anybody who wants to. It was a bizarre thought. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross, follow me. You know what it means to deny yourself? We've done it. You go out to dinner, server comes around at the end of the meal. Could I interest you in a, a chocolate, molten, hot fudge, keg, ice cream, cherries on top? No, no, no. I'm denying myself. <laughs> totally the same thing. No. Deny yourself, take up your cross. The level of intensity here, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. Because we heard on Good Friday, Jesus was taken off from the cross and given a burial. Typically, people who went up on a cross were not taken down from a cross. They were left there. Because the goal was to intimidate everybody else. (laughs) Don't act out. They knew what it meant to be up on a cross. Not like the videos that you maybe have seen or the, the glorification of the cross that we've done, and rightly so. No, they've seen what the cross was intended for. They saw bodies up there for weeks or months on end. And so when Jesus predicts his death and offers the manner in which it's going to happen, the cross, they know the cost, the sacrifice is tremendous. They know that in the fork in the road, when you ask the question, who's following whom, and you choose Jesus Christ, you know that you have to be prepared to put it all on the line. But then Jesus, he offers a further explanation yet. And he almost offers this as a way to to clarify any kind of misunderstanding that may have happened and really force the decision, get this, making it, I think, even easier for us. Check it out in, in verse 25 to the end. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then this uh, hypothetical rhetorical question, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And he starts it off by bringing everybody in the room into it. Who wants to save their life? You don't have to raise your hands. We got it. Everybody wants to save their life. That's why we 
Or we take our medicine, why we go for runs occasionally and exercise. That's, that's why we try to eat better. That's why we go to the doctor and get screenings. We all want to save our life all in the hope of maybe extending it by a year or, or ten. But the mortality rate, forgive me for the cliche, is still hovering around 100%, and there's no way that we can escape this entirely. So Jesus ties, he like wraps everybody into the story and says, who wants to save their life? Okay, everybody. But now that we're all on the same page, here's the hypothetical. At the end, at the world's end, and you know, he doesn't like spell this out here any more particularly, but... But in the end, let's just a hypothetical example, you know. You've led a good life. In fact, you've led the best life. And I mean that in terms of you live in the house, the brick one with all the, you know, hardwood and natural stone on the inside, the, the bathrooms and the bedrooms, and just the, just the best house that ever anybody could ever imagine. And not only that, the, car, the garage is filled with, with a bunch of cars. If they're not brand new, they're classics, right? And p- the people turn their heads when you're driving down the road. You know, people like that who vacation internationally, always in other time zones. You know, at least you can, the rest of us can look back and say, you know, I bet their marriage is terrible because why not? No, no. Let's say you've even got that right? A wife or husband who adores you and cherishes you, kids that grow up healthy and and at least as successful. I mean, it's the good life. And say you get, say you get to the end and there's an angel standing there. And the question is, this is it. Whatever it means, you know, end, maybe he's talking about hell, Maybe he's talking about torment. Whatever it is, you've come to the end. And you've got an opportunity in front of you. What would you give? What would you give not to lose your soul? What would you give for life? Period. Would you give the house? Of course I would give the house. Would you give the the cars? Would you give the vacations? Would you give, the, would you give anything? Better question. Is there anything you would ever hold back? Absolutely not. What would you give in exchange for your soul and with it life, period, eternally? And we all respond, I'd give everything. It's all nothing. It's an instant. It's a vapor. It's, it's a flash compared to eternity. Maybe. Maybe we're talking about the fork in the road. The question, who's following whom? And if you choose Jesus, if you choose to be his disciple, you know that it entails the cross. Maybe in the perspective of eternity, Jesus says, it's not that big of a sacrifice. I think what Jesus is telling his disciples here and us, listen, you've already chosen. When I ask the question, what's your soul worth? And you respond, everything. Your mind is made. 
So take it a small step further this week. If you have the courage, or if you need to be reminded, ask him. Ask God in your prayer life this week to give you a fork in the road. Ask God for an opportunity to to demonstrate to him, to respond to his call in your life, to say, God, who's following whom? I'm putting myself square in the Jesus camp. God, I am all in. I've made my decision. It was a simple one. Lord, you made it that clear to me. But now I'd like to just show it. I'd just like to respond publicly as the cross was. If you have the courage, ask God to give you that fork in the road. Because I'll tell you, it's through experiences like that. It's through experiences uh, big and small that, that you point to in your history like I've done and say, you know, I took a, an, an oddly specific stand for, for some bizarre convictions. Not knowing what happened, but being prepared to suffer the consequences. And it turns us into the disciples that God wants us to be. It's through experiences like that, those forks in the road, that we don't just find out who we are, but whose we are. And so I'm going to pray for that. I'll pray for that for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for that for you. I'm going to pray for a fork in the road for you. Not because, not because I don't like you and I, and I want to take good things away from you. No, I do like you a lot. But I'm going to pray for that for you because I know how infinitely important your eternity is and how in the end, whatever sacrifices that we come into this week, it's not that big. Even the cross, it's not that big compared to life, period. So please, please, please carry whatever cross comes in you this week. Because Jesus carried his for you. If we just stand up and let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious, heavenly God, we need your Holy Spirit to, to choose you back, to respond to the calling in our lives. Uh, God, maybe, um, maybe we just feel this way, Lord. Maybe we've been away from you for a long, long time. But, but God, if anybody here has been feeling like, like, like spiritually our resting heart rate is zero and we need CPR to beat it back to life, Holy Spirit, I, uh, I ask you to get the process started. To, to break down whatever walls we put up, to invade our hearts, to, to prompt us to respond to your good grace. And teach us, Lord, uh, teach us to follow, teach us whose we are, teach us what it means to go all in for you. Amen.